so thing here. Dry. Dry. I don't know this song. He didn't do any of his desk camps. Are we done? Cool. One take. One take. I can sing better than this. Spoiler alert. Rosebud was Kane's childhood sled. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to Syndication, the only podcast that. Oh, I didn't write anything, but that's how fucked up I am today. Get ready for some weird, weird energy from me, especially. The oh, only everybody. podcast where shit like that happens. Woo! Yeah, I literally, it's the only podcast that dot dot dot, and I don't have anything. Shangri La. for excellence here. Hang on, I got the next line though. Shangri La, El Dorado. Sloppy Joes. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're editorializing about the 1941 greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. I'm Tyler Young, your host, with, wait a minute, one, two, three other people. <gasps> the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> There's another one. Well, who's, who's this guy in the glasses well, over here? Uh, I'm uh, Devin Ellis, and I to my we left. we agreed that we were going to start calling you uh, Beardy McGlasses Face. Yeah. I don't remember that. That's a really I do. ring nice to it. No, you don't. I remember you loved it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm Matt Gettys. Mm-hmm. Oh, you went with Gettys. That's what we went with. Wow. Ah, that's yeah. not what you said you were going to You're a big do. fan of smear campaigns, huh? Listen, I'm not a gentleman. I don't even know what a gentleman is. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I have, I, what's that word mean? <laughs> I'm very confused. I fell on my head as a child. <laughs> Uh, and this week is a special episode because we have a special guest host. I'm Matt's wife, uh, Jackie Xanadu Gettys. Mm. So that's hyphenated. I hyphenated it. Okay. Yeah. Modern woman. Xanadu Gettys. Xanadu Gettys. Don't need no man. It's an exotic no name. Where are you guys from? <laughs> Far away. <laughs> uh, Colorado, right? Isn't that where he was from? Originally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, sure. I think Xanadu, and I think Mongolia. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's Kublai Khan. Family name. Yeah, Xanadu. Oh, man, I'm going to save that for the end. <laughs> but that's kind of the only part of the song I know. <laughs> All right, so we, we're doing Citizen Kane. Um, but, oh, before we get into the why, how about the what of what we're drinking? What we're drinking? We're drinking a cocktail called... The Rosebud cocktail. The Rosebud. Normally this would be my pick, but I'm broke and didn't buy anything and said someone else do it. So this is Matt again. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I also am already in need of a second one. (laughs) Yeah. No, we poured out the whole shaker. So like we're going to have to go over there and make you another one. Yeah, you're drinking like a champ this episode. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know what happened. We do have a weird energy. (laughs) Right? Everything switched around. (laughs) Devin finished his his drink first. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of our friendship. We haven't even gotten through the intro yet. (laughs) Yeah. The longer the beer, the greater the thirst. Oh. Matt's picking up my slack as (laughs) the host this episode. (laughs) I'm like half dead over here. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. New yeah. new new person, so new completely person. new energy being injected in. Yeah. I like it. It's a special app. It's a spep. I mean, a no, s- no, babe. <laughs> no, babe. No, babe. I like it. A spep. <laughs> no, babe. It's our first annual spep. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds like something you get at the doctor's office once a year. No, here for my yearly spep. It sounds like something you go to the doctor's office to cure. 
But I, have... I have a bad case of the spep. Sounds like some no. kind of like smear you would get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It sounds like a test, a diagnostic medical test. Could I get a bagel spep with test. extra spep? Nope. No, 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 no. Matt, Matt, why did you pick Citizen Kane? Uh, I've been putting off picking this movie for a long time. I mean, so it seems like too obvious. Yeah, yeah, it's way too obvious. It's like number one on all these lists. I think it's like number two now. I think it finally was taken down. But it's number one up there. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I think AFI. It's number two or three now, and, and probably ooh. too fast, too furious for two. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's four fast, four furious. Gross. Uh, what about fast five Bob or it. the furious? The furious. <laughs> um, well, the new spinoff one where they're basically superheroes now. What? Yeah, you don't want to. Well, they have been for a couple movies, apparently. I've never watched one, but that's what I hear. You haven't even seen Fuck the first you. one? It's meh. Oh, you know what? I did see the first one a long-ass time ago and did not enjoy it. Nah, the first one's all right. <laughs> yeah, nah. Um, yeah, but I was hoping somebody else would pick it, uh, so I didn't have to waste a pick. But I feel like if we wait a long... Well, I've already seen it, so I never would have. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and you chuckleheads picked fucking Friday. <laughs> that was so, what do you mean we chuckleheads? I needed that to get us yeah, why back we, on track. Why are we like a duo just because we live together? I picked it. Me. Yeah, don't loot me in with him. <laughs> Had to get back on track. And I'm Mrs. not sorry. Mrs. Xanadu Geddes was not involved in the picking of the last <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, it's like one of the most famous good movies ever. And I've never seen it until now. Like any anything I looked up about this movie was like, oh yeah, best movie of all time. Yep. Mm. That's a big standard to live up to. That's yeah. what Orson Welles said. Yeah. <laughs> Shade. He didn't do anything for the rest of his career. He famously like he did actually. Here. He actually was prolific for the rest of he his. He did career. a lot of just stuff, but ever didn't really quite measure up. Everybody always said that it was never as good as this. That's mm. like the story of Orson Welles. That's yeah. the tragedy. Mm. Um, which I I think that's interesting. Mm. Plus, there's that whole like. War of the Worlds thing that happened and that yeah. kind of that happened before this. I though, heard right? that was Excuses. the end of his career officially, where like not officially, but often. I think that happened before this, didn't it? He got yeah. a start in radio. I mean, this movie was like super, super panned when it came out, so much so that RKO was like archive, just put this away and not show it again for like ten years, really? and then it's like, hey, remember this movie? We like it now. <laughs> I think maybe part of it had to do with War of the Worlds being like, oh, this guy, this guy is making a movie. Fuck this guy. We mm. like. <laughs> Cause pandemonium. I mean, he also had like a really unconventional contract with them because he could do. He was basically had complete creative freedom for the yeah. film, which was really interesting. I feel like that usually produces pretty good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, it could go either way. It's like it's either going to be like a very unique voice and a very unique vision, or like so bloated and over yeah. budget and past um, you know production time or whatever that. You know. In either case, though, it's never just like safe and vanilla, right? There's always right. something about it, whether it's for better or for worse. <laughs> something yeah. excessive. Yeah. <laughs> Good or bad. Well, nobody that wants to make a vanilla movie has complete con creative freedom put into their contract, right? True. Because they're happy to just make the vanilla movie. That's fair. So, like, <laughs> just happy to be here. <laughs> by definition, if that's in the contract, I feel like the person who put it there has some ideas that they want to work <laughs> out. And they're like, yeah, let's just nip this in the bud. Oh! Right? Like the rose part of the movie. There rose goes. Bud. Get it? Do you get it? Because it's, it's like the, it? it's the thing at the end. Because spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the plot of this movie, right? 
There's yeah. a whole lot of time being spanned in this movie. Um, so it's basically the life of a uh, of a magnate of a of a business tycoon from poverty in Colorado um, to being basically like sold off by his family who are like, yeah, we're dirt poor and not educated, and this kid could go far if we move him along to somewhere else. Uh, also, his father's a piece of shit. So, so he goes off to with his banker, Mr. Thatcher. Oh, this is after they found uh, gold on their land, and they're like, oh, we have money, so. Thatcher wants the land and they want a better life for their kid. And so he goes off in his grand adventure of becoming Charles Foster Kane, um, who uh, with his riches, he decides not to inherit the, like the Thatcher business, but to run his own paper, the Inquirer, um, and starts basically kind of the popularism of yellow journalism uh, in America. Basically, this is a whole like, the whole story is a riff off of um, ah, what's his name, Hearst, Hearst. Yeah. Uh, William Randolph Hearst. Thank you. You're welcome. Who hated this movie so much so that he turned around and just like in the movie was calling uh, Orson Welles a communist. Like, don't watch this movie. It's a communist movie. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, an insult back then. Yeah, just I mean, calling someone a communist. Yeah. In the movie, they were calling uh, Kane a communist later, too. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, but there was also a picture of him with Hitler. So, you know, maybe a little bit of that. Uh, yeah, what was in the description? Spoilers. Like, he made friends with everybody, even if he at some point would turn around and be like, no, 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 they're terrible. Boo, yeah. boo yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's basically just the life of him basically starting as an idealist and then being corrupted by all the power and all the influence and becoming cold and shut off and demanding to the point where he, like, drives everybody off in his, in his life away from himself and he dies a sad old lonely man. Uh, and then after his death... Uh, the, I don't know, the media, I guess. I don't know exactly who's doing it, but they're doing a newsreel um, on his life, and they're like, okay. Like, the movie begins with that newsreel, like News the first draft. The march. Yeah, News which is amazing. I, I love that whole thing. Yeah, that was oh. great. The life of Citizen Kane! <laughs> uh, so they, they decide, like, okay, this first draft is very boilerplate. It's very like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have just read the newspaper articles on this guy. We're not going to get much. Let's dig deeper. Who was this man? Not what he did. Uh, and so they keep, they knew about Rosebud being his last words. And so it's just a search of the meaning of Rosebud through interviews with everyone in his family. And that's how we get the story of Kane um, posthumously. Uh, and that's it. And then basically it just ends with Actually, like, no, none of the characters figure it out, but you, the viewer, figure out what Rosebud is. And it's his childhood sled, which represents, like, his... That he never really fully, completely let go of his childhood, and he kind of, you know, tragically wanted to go back to that place. And it's, like, uh, showing a loss of innocence and, uh, you know, like, oh, man. Like, his one big regret is, like, not sticking to his ideals and being the kind of, mm. like, good-natured childlike person that he used to be when he started yeah i'm not sure that's how i read the ending yeah uh, me either uh, how, how do you read it then i don't think he was an idealist that was corrupted i think he was i think the things that made him so isolated at the end he always had mm. uh, and he just covered it up by pretending to be an idealist like the oh. things he believed that like all those like i mean uh his friend um uh jed leland yeah. Said when he was well. I mean, so here's the other thing, right? Like an important device in this film is that you only ever hear other people's accounts, and right. I mean, like the fact that he 
was a newspaper man who got rich and famous by printing what he wanted people to know, not necessarily the truth. Like there's a certain dramatic irony to the fact that we only learn his story through other people's accounts and yeah. we don't know how accurate they are. So like, that's an important thing is that we know actually very little. We only know what people say. Mm. Like even that journal that's being read wasn't read like written by him. It was someone who knew him. Right. It was by Thatcher. Thatcher. And right. then interpreted yeah. by the reporter. Yeah. Right. Obviously. The thing Leland said where like he said he never really believed in anything. He just wanted to be loved and he would tell people whatever they needed to hear to get him love. Like I read the entire movie as he was shipped away by his family and and innocence lost and that he spent the rest of his life trying to get back that like parental love that he craved because he had been ripped away from his home. And in the end, like he never got it back. That, right. That was they kept saying, like, at the very end, he said maybe Rosebud was something he wanted but couldn't get or something, or he, something lost. he lost. Mm, and yeah. like Rosebud was just like the innocence of childhood that he lost. Not, not necessarily his ideals, I guess, is the part that I'm. But they I also said like. it could just be one single missing piece in this big old puzzle that it doesn't mm. really have much meaning. Right. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, even if you know what drove that character he's still a deeply complicated, like the, the movie's not interested in letting you just say like he was X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Right. Like he's complicated, contradictory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that I really found interesting is there was so much to this film. I thought, first of all, the structure of it was fantastic. Absolutely. The fact that they started with the news on the March and it kind of gave you basically everything that you're about to see for the rest of the film yeah. right. right at the beginning, but it was all factual and it was all just from that, you know, factual news perspective. It gave you the outline. Exactly. And then it went yeah. back and flushed it out. I that, did not see that coming yeah, when I cool. first watched it and I was like, oh yeah, I get what they're doing once they started doing all the flashbacks and stuff and I was like, this, this is really cool. And I believe and this is the first movie that did that. Oh really? The non-chronological uh, showing of a, of a story like that. I don't think it's ever been done before that movie. I know it made waves because of it. I don't know if it was exactly the first one. I can't confirm that, but... I mean, it's the first movie at so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What, what were you going to say, Jackie? I was just going to say, I, the news on the march really whet my appetite for this character because, yeah. you know, seeing him with Roosevelt and then with Hitler, you know, that right. these are... You see someone at these uh, really public uh, high points in their lives and you sort of want to know what the details are. Yeah, I think that was... Such a great framing device to because mm. yeah because you get like the big like bombastic bullet points like he did this he did that he's a man of his word and blah 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 and then you get to like yeah figure out, out like all I, of the realities behind it and it's not so like glorious and amazing and whatever I also I didn't think that the news on the march framed him positively not completely and mm -hmm. like I had a certain feel for who the character was and then my interpretation of him totally changed throughout the film which i thought was really interesting you know as you learn the pieces from everyone's perspective and like you were saying he is a, a much more complex character than just one thing uh which i really appreciated it did frame him as someone important someone who deserves your attention or someone who sure could get someone's attention someone significant and i like a figure kind of like it was like the the mythos of mm -hmm. of uh Kane, I don't know. But also a lot of the story beats that they touched on had different backgrounds mm. once you actually hear, like like yeah. the whole scandal with uh, Susan. Alexander. The, yeah, the singer. Yeah. 
you know, they frame that in one way on News on the March as it being just like a scandal. Yeah. And then we actually find out what happened. There's a ton of richness there and like depth. Yeah, exactly. I also thought that there was in in the in the film, there was so much resentment with Kane. I, th- I think that was the thing that I picked up on the most that like from Kane or towards him from Kane and mm. and the resentment of not even losing his innocence, but having it really just ripped from him. And how he was... She's fine. Fuck I'm speaking into the microphone. <laughs> it's not how close you are. It's that you're pointed at it. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Please edit this out, Tyler. Um, <laughs> we'll see. But <laughs> Sometimes I like painting people in a light that I feel like painting them in, you know? That's Hashtag the power marriage. of an editor. <laughs> but I... I, I a decider. <laughs> decider. For me, it was it was less the um, innocence lost, but I, I picked up on a, a sort of violence under the surface, like a, a real anger and resentment towards um oh fletcher was it thatcher thatcher, thatcher. excuse me oh, thatcher yeah. towards his mother who was apparently he was you know clearly had great affection for but she was um so cold and so uh mm. um, unavailable and his father by contrast i just and, and the way he treated uh the two both of his wives i just i felt a lot of resentment from him and it, it gave me a lot of sympathy for him by the end of the film mm. yeah i mean the first thing he does when he takes over the inquirer is he starts running news articles like just uh, uh about thatcher's business practices yeah and just totally shitting all over and taking it's like the it first thing he thatcher. does yeah, yeah. <laughs> and taking out the pain of being separated from his family the pain of his stolen childhood mm. on yeah of course it's easy to blame thatcher because he's yeah. the guardian of course can't I take love, it on your parents. I love that line too when they they show like Thatcher's an old man and uh, Kane is a middle aged man and Thatcher's like he's like what, what what would you have liked to have been everything you hate he just looks yeah. directly at him just, just everything trolling you hate. him yeah yeah <laughs> like in no uncertain terms like I just want to destroy <laughs> your happiness. Also, I, I just want to say, I thought the aging effects as they went through time were really rock solid. I thought so, too. Yeah. It freaked me out how yes. much young Orson Welles mm. looked like real-life, eventual, old, fat oh, Orson yeah. Welles. It yes. was so good. <laughs> I was watching uh, I was watching on Amazon Prime, and it had the x-ray thing in there, and it kept showing a picture of Orson Welles actually as a middle-aged man. And then him and make and then a, like a pause it on the picture of him in makeup. It's not that different. Yeah, you know, it's pretty close. Wow. Yeah, I think the black and white really helped to sell the the makeup and the aging. You know, because you mm-hmm. can't see the color difference if there is any, or the wrinkles are harder to see. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in the medium they had, it came across really well. Yeah, um, I was really impressed by it. Uh, speaking of which, with the special effects, uh, the newsreels. A lot of them were actual old archived RKO uh, newsreels that they used. A lot of it was just they filmed it, and then the editor at the time came up with this idea of, like, I'm going to use cheesecloth with sand in it and rub it over the actual film uh, cells themselves. What? Yeah, or just run it across the floor, on the studio floor, and that's how you get the graininess in it. He's like, he just made it. And some cinemas were like, hey, uh, we can't use this film. It's fucked up. There's scratches and shit. This is an inferior (laughs) film. We can't use this. And like, "Mm, well, we did that on purpose. It's supposed to look inferior, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Which, because uh, I also watched it on Amazon Prime, and I watched like a digitally remastered version. I must have too. It's just the ones where you see like you know like you know it was on the march, and it, yeah. they have the the it's all super grainy. Some of it was real, and some of it they filmed and made it look older than 1941. Hmm. That and like yeah, there, there's so many novel things they did for filmmaking in this. Like the the non chronon uh, I can't even say the 
chronological, chronological non-linear storytelling. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really. Woof. Boy, it's hot. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 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 that's you were mouthing it. I just, you know, read your lips. Thanks. Matt with yep. the assist. <laughs> waka waka. Uh, that and like the um, the rooms, like when they were in like specifically the Inquirer uh, indoors, they used microphones up in a fake ceiling. So the ceiling wasn't, you know, plaster or whatever. It was just cloth. And then they had microphones just sitting up right above them. So there's never like the boom. That's where the boom mics were. There's no one standing there, like holding them over the scene or whatever. Yeah, because they got a lot of uh, praise for that, for having shots that showed a ceiling indoors. And I don't think they were the first to do that, um, but they are the most uh, well-known or originators of that, of being able to do that. But they had lights and, yeah, like you were saying, it was mostly see-through and they had like lights and mic- microphones and stuff that were just yeah. shining through which is really cool that and like split focus scenes mm-hmm. was all them you know i don't think if that's really been done before that uh i was looking up things about the movie and they were talked a lot about deep focus just having everything in the shot and i remember when i was watching it i noticed that a lot like yeah. that scene when kane is a little boy and he's playing outside mm-hmm. that's the most famous oh yeah. that was so cool and i i made a beautiful. point of that when i saw that scene and i didn't even realize that they were like uh, that they were well regarded for kind of uh, pioneering yeah. that type of shot. There's also the one after uh, his second wife's uh, premiere. Yeah. When um, Jed. So you've got, uh, uh, what's his manager's name? Bert? Bernstein. 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 You've got Bernstein silhouetted back in the doorway oh, yeah. that uh, Jed walks out of. And uh, you've got uh, Kane in like the extreme foreground typing, um, yeah. and they're all like, except for Bernstein, uh, they're all lit and in focus the entire time. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy cool. That when Susan uh, like drugs herself, and you see the bottle like right in front of the camera, and then all the way in the back of the room, you see the doorway. Yeah, and you see Kane walking from the back all the way up to her, and everything's in focus the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but if you watched the credits, um, Orson Welles actually shared his writer or like his uh, director producer. Like he's not on the screen alone. When it does producer director, he also puts his cinematographer on the same slide. Oh, wow. yeah. They share that slide. That's nice. Um, which is like, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Like the cinematography is. <laughs> out of the world from a technical standpoint it was amazing uh like when they in the present of the movie when they uh the investigator if he his name would go thompson yes thompson uh when he was talking to susan in present day and they would like it's from the roof and the camera goes through the sign and then down to the window that's a breakaway sign that the camera actually is pushing because it's like a gate there and it pushes it out of the way and goes actually through the sign and then over and down oh yeah it's so funny, cool. I knew that ahead of time because I had seen this in high school in a class for it. Oh, really? And so I could see the cut in the middle of that like prop there, you know? Yeah, they also cut out holes in the floor to get those really ultra-low angle shots oh, to yeah. make them look oh, really tall that. and larger yeah. than life. Yeah, that's cool. Which is cool to imagine, just like a hole in the floor, a camera just propped up <laughs> in it. <laughs> so I want to go back and talk about um, the beginning in Colorado. The kid that they got to play, young Orson Welles, looked exactly like Orson Welles. Yeah. Undoing. I don't know if you guys noticed or, or, or not. I didn't notice. It, no. Exactly. Just like if someone shrunk him down. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Oh, His facial it expressions. Was so bizarre. Yeah. Are there any photos yeah. of Orson Welles as a kid? I'd be interested Maybe. in comparing those. 
but like just take a picture of like like find a picture of Orson Welles the adults and then that kid in the movie and it, it's weird <laughs> like yeah this was also the first film to use time travel for casting purposes <laughs> yeah they invented time travel and then destroyed all records destroyed the technology <laughs> no it's it's completely unbelievable hmm. Uh, I also I love the way that uh, they have that really really short scene. From like, okay, he's going off with Thatcher, and, and he like does the, the like beating him with a sled or whatever. And then they they're like, and the mother's like, yeah, I'm gonna send you far away where your father can't get to you, whatever. And then and then uh, they like cut like smash cut to like Christmas like th- that year or whatever. And Thatcher's like, Merry Christmas. And then. <laughs> Young Orson, well, or young Kane, like stands up and gives him a stink eye, like a real strong <laughs> stink eye, and he's like, "Merry Christmas!" And then I'm like, "Boom!" He's 25. All of a sudden, yeah. I thought that was pretty great. So good that there were a lot of scenes where there was only one line being spoken. They just like would show a scene. There's two people sitting together talking, whatever, you know, and they would just say one thing, and then like, "Next, go, go, go." Apparently, that is called a uh, narratage. A narratage. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Where they're like, here's one moment, here's one next, no, like here's another moment, here's another moment, because it's not just music and then you know wordless stuff happening to show a passage of time. They're like giving you tiny little snippets. Oh, the one between him and his first wife, where it shows Emily? them oh. gradually like oh moving to opposite sides of the table. Yeah, was great. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah, and how she just looks more and more fed up yeah. with his bullshit. The physical <laughs> oh, changes yeah. and just like so the change in their demeanor amazing. as their dialogue was. Like indicating that it's they were incredible. just going farther apart. Ah, oh. she's more and more steely. Like, okay, look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, I, I wonder if that's sort of. It struck me as a way of, of channeling how people remember things. So you never remember yeah. everything that everybody said, but when you remember something, you'll say, "I remember she her her blouse was like the 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 brightest color of red I'd ever seen," or "I remember the the sky was so blue that day." And you remember these one details or this one thing someone said, but you never remember very much more than that. You remember little mm. fragments. And it, yeah. I, to me, it seemed like how I would remember the passage of time. Yeah, because you lose a lot of the context. You just get that yeah. like one little like hook point that you remember. Yeah, the one thing know. that your brain hung on to. And it's, yeah. I, I thought it was so, it really touched me to see that. And not just, you know, because I'm married and I know that relationships do change over time, but... It's just, it's so profound. It's so, it's so interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, cause the most of the story is told through, you know, recounts of what happened. Yeah. And, uh, I, that's interesting you say that. Cause I remember seeing that stuck out to me is when Bernstein, when he was giving his account of what happened, he mm-hmm. was like, Oh, I remember everything. And he told the story of this woman in a white dress that he saw and how he could yeah. remember her in detail. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. I wonder why they never uh, interviewed his first. Oh no, his first wife died. That's she right. Died. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with the with the son too. With the, the son. But none of the characters were like around for it, so Indeed. you don't get to see it, right? Yeah. Like that's what's interesting yeah. is like so that's a huge life changing event that would probably give us a better understanding of the man mm-hmm. that we never see, right? Like that's there's something like about how i don't know i found i thought there were actually really interesting parallels to our current day right and like the state of journalism and and um popular culture and 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 social media there's something really interesting about that idea of like you can't actually know a person it's a puzzle right you yeah. don't have all the puzzle pieces it's curated and yeah. the pieces that you get 
are just what other people have given you. You don't know how accurate they are. You don't know if that's the whole picture. And there's no rosebud. There's no single thing that's going to... There's there's no Rosetta Stone that's going to give you the answer to an entire life. Yeah, and then, you know, extrapolate that out to today. And, you know, like you get no context for things and people just like, I got an opinion. And now right. I'm going to take that opinion and blast it to everybody on the planet. Yeah. And then they're going to echo that opinion, even though we may all be completely wrong. So we only have one tiny piece. Tyler, but I understand truth. that you mean for everybody else, because it's important that the world knows how I feel about toast. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I social media. Don't you know this about me? Because you get it. Because get it. Jokes. Toast. Toast. I'm Toast. missing something. I, I told you, I'm really, my mind's not <laughs> great Folks, today. we got a weird energy today. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, <laughs> I'm going to move on because I'll probably hear it in the editing you know, process later and go, oh, I hate myself. <laughs> but there is sort of this, what you're touching on, Matt, with this, democracy of, of how we exchange ideas now and exchange uh, how we share our curated lives and, and how we disseminate that biographical information and what we choose to share and what we don't. What What's wrong with you? Look at his toes. Don't look at my toes. <laughs> Matt's making a weird old sour face looking at Devin's feet, apparently. <laughs> at least it wasn't my opinion. <laughs> but how back then it was maybe, I don't want to over-politicize it or, or you know misuse a term but it is a more uh more of a monopoly of how we disseminate information and how we interpret information and, mm. and there is sort of a for me an, an economic way of, of of looking at how that's changed over time and i mean yeah. i don't i know nothing about history really because I, I don't know history or geography mostly um, because i'm a musician but in that time I, I think journalism was going through a lot of growing pains especially in the in the states in the early uh, 20th century i would imagine for me like it, it's a very I don't know. It's very sticky wicket because, like, did you just make a cricket reference? Yeah, I did. <laughs> is that cricket? I thought no, it is. Yeah, cricket. Yeah. It's you gotta hit him through the yeah. wickets. Uh, the worst game ever. <laughs> Got I've never played. <laughs> oh wait, no, I thought it was croquet. It's definitely cricket. I think it's the it's the bad. It's not ba It's not as good as baseball, and baseball is pretty terrible. Yeah, cr cricket's got the like famously complicated uh, rules with all of the words yeah. that make no sense. You're like, get the belly through the, the first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> through the Jabberwocky. And, uh, <laughs> but the because um, I think there's a, a a huge good side and bad side to uh, a monopolized kind of journalism where like on one hand everything's vetted. You would hope so. You know, the, mm -hmm. I think gatekeeping to a degree is good uh, as far as like journalism goes. Where like yeah, it's not just any old fuck with, you know, with the brain going like, I think this is bad. Let me blast it out to everybody in mass, you know, mm -hmm. even though I have no basis for my opinion. I'm just, that's how I feel. And everyone's like, yeah, it is bad, right? But I also think on the other hand, that's good too, because then you don't get people who can just decide what the narrative's going to be, of you know, aside from the truth. And they're just, yeah, we have a monopoly. So like, yeah, we did vet it and decide we didn't like it. So we just gave you our version and there's no one else that can say otherwise. Mm. Um, I will so it's really like, like yeah. I think now you, it's, it's more on the consumer of the information to be like, where, where am I getting this information from? Sure. Well, also everyone has an opinion and there's no, nothing stopping you from making that opinion public anymore, you know, with the internet age, which like, why not? Cause that is the great equalizer in some ways. So I'm a, I'm a professional musician and during the reviews 
a sequence after Susan Alexander's mm. debut. I, you know, and it's all these newspaper headlines, great diva astounds audiences and all of this, all of these glowing reviews. And as someone who does receive reviews based on my job performance, it's the same shit. In, in music now where, you know, someone from the guardian or the times will write a review and then all the blogs, you know, uh, the people who, who go to the show and could maybe offer a different opinion, just basically rip off the big periodicals. Mm. And so there is no discourse and there is no, well, I like this, but I didn't like this, or I really like this and I think we should pay more attention to it. So there is so little exchange of ideas still now, even when there is a more democratic way to share, um, our thoughts. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Not much has changed, I guess. I mean, because human nature, I think, mm. is pretty, like, elemental. You know, mm. like, I don't think it, it'll change very much. At least it will maybe over time and yeah, lots of, you know, generations will, will be way different than we... I mean, we are now way different than we used to be. But I think our lizard brains are still pretty much the same as they've always been. Mm. There's just a lot more, like, context going on and a lot more history to, like, look back on and reflect on than... We haven't been around for that long. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, only uh, 2,000 years, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's still not very long as far as evolution goes. <laughs> right. I was making a joke. <laughs> I think it's more than 2,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, well, like weird I mean. energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm making fun of religion is what, what's it's happening. The, no, so I got it. Thank you. I think I'm the only one in the room. I feel like it. that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I feel like almost every year, science, science is going like, you know, the science community at large going like, oh, wait, got it wrong. It's even further back. It's like now 100,000 <laughs> years or 500,000 years back. I get what you're saying now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really listen. That's my fault. <laughs> Devin Ellis, ladies and gents. <laughs> so present in the moment. I'm going to make sure they carve that on your tombstone. Dude, I didn't listen. That's my foot. fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to completely switch gears, just to get it out there, I liked, I loved this movie. I yeah. thought it was amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. I did, too. I had a, a great time watching it. But that being said, I thought a lot of the acting was pretty hammy. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. That was the one part I didn't like. Thatcher was probably the worst. He literally, I there's a scene where he literally, he's like reading the, like a... <laughs> Uh, the missive from uh, from Kane. He's like, I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. And he looks up. He's like, I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. <laughs> he looks directly down the barrel of the camera. And goes, <laughs> I'm like, what I the fuck that, is this? That sequence was so. I thought it was com supposed to be completely humorous, and mm. so I I really loved it because it was just so. And then they did like eight different, yeah, eight, eight different, and he would just oh you know, whatever the headline was, and blah, 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 and he would just make a stupid noise. I thought it was supposed to be for laughs. There was were, it not? If they were, then they nailed it. But it I don't so think weird. it's supposed to be funny. I it mean, was so weird. There was a good so, amount of scenes that were seemed to be intentionally funny. There was a lot about this movie that I yeah, thought was, it was pretty just funny. Well, intentionally funny because the characters are being funny and jovial, or because, like, what's happening is funny to you, the viewer? Well, I would assume it was intentional. Like, the whole, like... Uh, when they're first going to the Inquirer and Mr. Carter is there and he's getting all flustered and everyone's trying to talk to him. He's like, Mr. Carter, Mr. Oh, Thatcher, yeah. Mr. Carter. <laughs> you know? Like, that was funny and that seemed intentional. There was no way that was a mistake. And then there was the scene at the well, end yeah. where he's, like, outside and he puts his hat on and just, like, blows a raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> There's the scene with the guys up above the premiere of the opera where he, like, does the stink nose. Yeah. <laughs> there were funny things. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not, like... 
Well, they don't think they're being Blomp. funny, right? And like looking at the camera like, right, people? Like that's so, it's breaking the fourth wall. And that's, I think, a step too far of like, right. yeah, there are funny scenes or funny moments are written like, you know, people are people and people like comedy. So it makes sense that in the movie you'd get comedic moments with like characters. But then there's someone who's like, wink at the audience like what the fuck is that i loved it i thought it was so effective and because there are some very serious themes in the movie so when there was a chance for someone to be this bloated villain mm. it's i <laughs> i thought it was funny so i was actually interested in asking you about this jackie because you do stage acting mm. um orson wells comes from stage and radio um, and I read somewhere that like most of these actors were people he knew from the theater world mm, and, and so many of not, them were new, yeah. had not done a lot of film acting before. So I, I wondered, like you've told me before that you have, you have to act bigger on stage because there are no close ups. Mm. Um, and I wondered if you thought like, was this good stage acting that was just in the wrong medium or. I think for me, what I noticed most about the film, I think if I had not, watched the acting and just listened to it, I would have enjoyed it way more. And I would have thought, wow, that acting is amazing. Particularly the actress who played Susan Alexander. Mm -hmm. I thought the way, you know, where she would say, get out, get out. <laughs> Why? Get out. I mean, the way that she would just manipulate her inflection and the way that she would linger on certain consonants. I felt like the actors were making, as I would expect of a theater actor, using their voices more to express than maybe their bodies. And, mm. and on stage, because people are sitting, you know, so, so, so far away from you um, in like an opera house where those houses are just bigger than a lot of, a lot of uh, straight, straight theater houses. Um, right. You just have to, you have to do more and you have to use your body because the stage is just so enormous. Um, so the cheap I, seats. Exactly. And you sing to the people in the cheap seats. It's, it's a saying in the, in the biz, but I think it's true, but I thought, the you know, biz. in the biz, it's true. <laughs> it's oh, that's true. short for business, Matt? Oh, yeah. it's I didn't a cool know. Way of saying Thank business. you, Tyler. I didn't know because it was business lingo. <laughs> but I, I do think that the way that they use their voice, because I was astounded at the end of, in, in the in the credits, where it was you know these are the new all these people new to film making their debut, yeah. and there were nine actors or something like that, and I just thought that's truly something to cast that many new people in in a film of this magnitude. Where I mean the scale of the film was just. Huge in also, terms of that credits list was really short. It was so short, right? It's incredible, right? That just, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I think part of why they did that too with all the stage actors in this is because I think at the time movies were kind of just that it was just a film stage play, and most mm -hmm. of it was on like a set or two, and that's why like this was a, such an innovative movie to do the different focuses the the really like hard angles and, and different like um, like the contrast between light and dark and stuff like that. Cause normally it was just like a well lit scene. Here's a room and here's people talking, you know, mm. like um, like our town kind of style or yeah. who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or whatever. And it was just like a filmed version of something that was on stage. And so like, I mm. think this was one of the first movies or maybe the first movie to be like, you know, this could be its own medium that has its own language and we don't have to be just a stage play. Just like, um, it reminds me of, uh, how music videos used to be, mm. how they were just like, we don't really know what to do with music videos uh, other than like just film the band on the stage like they would at a concert. And it's just a filmed concert. And then eventually it started being like, wait, we can like get weird with the shit and like do some <laughs> do a whole narrative that like 
is part of the song and tells the story of the song or not. It's just a totally separate narrative that's like the visual narrative to the narrative of the song, you know, complements it. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten weird with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go all the way up to like uh, 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 Michael Jackson, who makes a movie out of a five-minute song or, or two-minute song, mm-hmm. you know. What did you guys think of the acting? Uh, I can acknowledge that definitely some of some of it felt a little you know hammy to me like tyler was saying um but i didn't think that really detracted from the movie as a whole Mm. for me Mm -hmm. um because i thought everything else was spot on and it was just such effective storytelling for me like i was i I went into it not really with that much expectation Um, it's a matte movie (laughs) <laughs> but I wasn't expecting to be super into it, you know, but I, w- I was engaged the entire time just because the story was consistent and engaging and interesting mm. throughout the entire film. Um, and even then, like, I actually liked most of the acting in the movie. I, I would say there's maybe only like a couple of scenes or where, where I w- it felt um, either like rushed or, or I thought the timing between... Uh, some of the dialogue was a little strange. Like people mm-hmm. were answering before the other person had even finished their sentence. Yeah, I noticed that too. There's actually uh, a moment that I caught where uh, Orson Welles, it's the its the night that he meets Susan, and yeah. which by the way, was one of my favorite scenes. I oh thought it was God. so was sweet. Great. It was such, yeah. a, such a sweet moment. The two of them together. And like, you know, I bring up Hammy acting, but that scene has like the best acting between the two best actors in the movie, I think. Mm. And, but she like, he like says something to her. I forget the actual lines, but he says something to her. And then she starts, she says one line and then goes to a second line and you can see his mouth move as if he were about to say a line and she like stepped on it or he was too early, but they didn't retake the scene or whatever. <laughs> they, they just kept it. So he kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a, it was a natural moment. <laughs> it felt natural. Honestly. Um, there are a couple of moments where like, uh, what is it? He he's got like a trowel of uh, like cements, and he's like gonna like oh yeah, it's like yeah. A groundbreaking. Wipes out his job. Yeah, and he's like oh shit, oh. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I love that stuff. Oh, that was so great. I love little moments, like little like what may have been a flub or maybe yeah. intentional. It's hard to tell um, in a movie where like a character is not being like just perfect all the time and like oh i'm just larger than life like no i'm a human being like uh it reminds me of the movie jackie brown if any of you seen that from uh quentin tarantino yep uh where robert de niro's like trying to he like gets in his car and he's like he like just murdered somebody and he like gets in his car and it's all like real serious and he he goes to start it he starts driving away and then it stalls on him he's like fuck and Come on! <laughs> it starts it again, then the music starts up again. <laughs> He's like, okay, and then drives off. So yeah. it's like it would have been a like a really serious, like, ooh, that's an action hit. Like, just murdered somebody. Get in a car, drive off with music going, just steely face. But he's like, oh, sh- fucking car. <laughs> yeah. I love those moments. You can really tell, and 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 at least I think in movies where um, whether or not the storytelling or the screenplay maybe has some weaknesses versus when the acting and the execution does. I yeah. uh, one one clear. Example of that for me is is I don't know if you guys have seen the favorite, very recent. No, I, I know Matt so. and I saw it, but that's an example for me where the storytelling is so clear, the themes are so clear, and the acting is so clear, and everything just works so efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there are examples where you can just really tell. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of TV shows, in particular, from the past couple of years, where one mm-hmm. is lagging, and and you know, I at least I can tell it's wow that actor's doing the best they can, but that script really is not 
really maybe has enough depth or is, is, is as rich as the performance they're giving. Or <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> so I have a tickle in my throat. Shade. <laughs> On a little bit of a tangent here, did you guys notice that transition when Raymond is recounting when Susan left Kane? And the cut is just a bird screaming for yeah, like two seconds. I wrote that down. Weird. It scared me. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was just a jump scare in the middle of a film that I shouldn't have been in. Yeah, it was so weird. I feel like it had to be to like set tone or something. They mm. must have tested that cut without that, yeah. and it must have felt too calm or plain. And it startled you... me. I didn't know what the hell was happening. <laughs> I, I have to assume that's what it was, right? Like, Because yeah. it made no plot sense. <laughs> I still don't... I guess the bird was in his aviary, maybe, I guess. if we're going to make that argument. <laughs> but were there other allusions to birds? Or I, I don't no, even... not really. It was weird. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not coming up with any. I there guess was I just wanted you to be distressed going into that <laughs> yeah. scene. <laughs> I kind of think that's what it was. He was just like, we just need to like shock people so they feel as unsettled as Kane does. Yeah. Well, maybe it worked then. And <laughs> <laughs> I was just too, too uh, put back to, uh, to really notice it. There was also that scene when uh, Kane slapped Susan in the oh. tent. Ooh. And, and the then screaming the screaming in the background by yeah. another someone else in yeah, the what background. Was that? I'm not really sure, but it, I felt like it kind of worked. I'll uh, tell you what it was. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which I think that's why the scene worked so well, because like, yeah, it's supposed to be like, ooh, <laughs> this Whoa. is heavy, you know? You know, we've all been there where we've been in situations where, no, we've all, no, we not, 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 when you, not when you are having a oh, physical yeah. altercation with your spouse, <laughs> but when you are in a situation and you cannot express the rage or the absolute elation that you feel, but that it somehow you notice in the, in, in, in your surroundings that there's a, a child mm. laughing when you, you know what I mean? Like, well, we feel like we can't express the, the ferocity of our own emotions to a really, um, that's what I thought situation. they were doing. Yeah. For. Yeah. But I it's, I, I felt I'm really satisfying because I've completely been there and I, it, I, it's just, it was so well executed. I thought it was great. Yeah. It reminds me of the time I got super, super, super angry at, uh, girlfriend who's breaking up with me and wouldn't say anything why mm. and i didn't know what to do with my dumb teenage anger and everything so i just went and punched her door <laughs> and broke it and then <laughs> immediately went like i'm sorry but i have to leave <laughs> uh so what did you guys think about the faceless uh protagonist thompson yeah, i yeah. thought that was interesting I that he wasn't really meant to be any kind of focal point you know I mean, they went out of their way to hide his face. Yeah. Like he's even huge. in the credit scene, it's the back of his head. Yeah. yeah. Like I think he's supposed to be a surrogate for the viewer, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's you know he's this silent protagonist basically. You know. The, I think it was pretty effective. In that. He's the link of the Legend of Zelda that is Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I also read somewhere that um, some people think it was a critique of the media. Um, mm. That like I forget who somebody maybe Wells had a critique where he called like. Uh, the media like faceless cabal or something mm. like that. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting I choice. I picture him saying that too, the yeah. faceless cabal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always drink. Uh -huh. what, is, what was that commercial for? Oh my God. Uh, it was wine. Champagne. Yeah, or champagne. But when I do. Because when the French <laughs> do a champagne. <laughs> Are you guys having strokes? Have you not seen that commercial? <laughs> what is happening? Oh, oh my God. It's... Orson Welles late in his career. Yeah did a commercial for wine or champagne or something and was 
famously sloshed and like could not get through it. <laughs> I have seen this. Yeah. It's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. Because he, like, he can barely even move. He's just like, Murr, like in his chair. It's a great ad for alcohol. And, and like every every reading that they show, because he does a bunch of takes in it, uh, starts off with him going, nah <laughs> I love the one the where they yell, they yell action and he just sits there and then they go, action. And he goes, Huh? <laughs> like he like to, doesn't even line, hear them. Line. <laughs> he does that little like he does that little like point at the bottle a couple of times where he's like doesn't even really move anything. He's just like mm, the French they uh, they know how to make a, a good champagne. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, worth a watch, audience, if you've never seen it. Worth a watch. With overlap, action piece. Action awesome, please. Just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Right. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson. Uh, Man, the legacy. So Jackie, we uh, uh, Matt brought this up about um, you know your your uh, history on stage, but like specifically, you're an opera singer. Indeed. Uh, so what did you, did you think that Susan was quite as bad as the movie made her out to be or not? Yeah, I had no reference for this. Honestly, I heard it and I was like, there are some moments where she got really high pitched. I was like, okay, that sounded bad. But the rest I'm like, I, I don't know. It sounded pretty good to my untrained ear, I guess. But like, were you like, was it grating to you? And you're like, this is, oh, she's awful. We talked about this during the movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought she was like it was Rip her apart, Jackie. She's <laughs> now she's backtracking. No, what she I said, like, is she really bad? No, and she she's said, pretty bad. yes. But what she sounds like, honestly, is it's like if they got a 16-year-old governor's school conservatory student to do it. It's just like very breathy, like uh, breathy production. I mean, her intonation was fine. Um, what really jarred me the you most... You asked for this. What really no, jarred me the most was so that she was singing a very famous opera aria from The Barber of Seville by Rossini. Sure, and that's what that's what she was singing to Kane. One of my favorites. It's pretty solid. (laughs) I mean, Um, I've heard of the Barber of Seville. I feel like yeah, Devin. That doesn't surprise me in the least. But like Matt, I would feel like you would know what that is. I love opera. You know the Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. Very publicly a big opera fan. Uh Very publicly. (laughs) Now, um, I'm not ashamed to say that I know the Barber of Seville because of Bugs Bunny. <laughs> That's like that, that the famous uh, uh, figure aria yeah. that is from that show. But she was singing the aria from the uh, the leading lady in the show, Rosina. And, and that was, you know, it, as typical of Rossini operas, um, the leading characters will come out and they'll sing this balls to the wall aria that's so technically demanding, shows off the whole voice and really presents a strong character trait. And the one that Susan was singing first in English, which I found so bizarre, <laughs> to Kane when he was sitting in the easy chair, and then later with the singing teacher and during the lesson in Italian, um, it's a it's it's Rosina's first aria in the show, and I know my husband's yawning because he's bored. Um, he's yawning, it's hot. It's hot, right? He's, hot. Got, he's got the vapors. Um, he's got the vapors. Um, but that aria is all about this character, uh, kind of 
she's kind of a scrappy lady and she swears to do whatever it takes to get what she wants in life. And, you know, maybe it's a little heavy handed, but that's sort of not really Susan Alexander, but she is kind of a scrappy lady mm. sort of falling in love with a man kind of, you know, above her station. And that's exactly what's going on in the, in the opera. But Susan Alexander does not take charge <laughs> and, and sort of uh, make her own destiny. She, you know, things sort of until happen to her until, until, she until the end, until the end. But she's not really the, the, the Rosina that is presented in this aria, but later in the singing lesson scene, there's actually a singing lesson scene in the opera too, where, uh, uh, the uh, the kind of the villain of the show is is making Rosina the the leading lady have this lesson and she's sort of being helped by her love interest who's the singing teacher but it it did not pan out that way in oh. Citizen Kane where mm. everyone was sort of against Susan so it was a really interesting reinterpretation of of a very classic story that's supposed to be about uh, you know strong women and and making choices and taking ch control of your life and. It doesn't really work that way for Susan until the very, very end. That's actually really interesting. So you're saying that just the opera and the character of Susan is living out a microcosm of the larger arc in the movie, which is the difference between the story presented and reality. Yeah, and I, th I think that that dissonance between uh, a really classic story of a really strong woman and, <coughs> you know, a, a kind of a classic maybe... 1940s heteronormative mm -hmm. you know coupling is it made me uncomfortable to hear to hear that aria which is all about i'm a strong independent woman don't really need no man unless i'm in love with him you know her singing it breathy and soft and sad and pathetically accompanying herself on the piano is just like it was it was heartbreaking for me i thought it was Ooh. really sad do you know that aria i do stark okay. oh sorry <laughs> dot dot Dot. Intro music. <laughs> <laughs> sure, if you want. That would be good. Yeah. I mean, we have someone who can actually sing on the show this time. We should give one quality oh. <laughs> song. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. I like. There that was idea. opera in the movie, and I'm an opera singer. You didn't think about it's that? It's kismet. kismet. I did not. Kismet. Kismet. Mit. Pen pin. Kismet. Pen. Wait, I thought it was kismet. M-I-T. M-E-T. Ugh. Kismet. You've never mit a word you didn't want to tell how to be pronounced. Oh yeah, let's get let's get this uh, let's get this uh, immortalized. <laughs> Matt, for some reason, thinks that pen and pin are the same word pronounced the same way. They're obviously pronounced differently if you're going out of your way, and they're obviously if you're going out of your way. Who is not going out of their way? Everybody pronounces <laughs> them the same in day-to-day -day speech. No. Your ears are broken. But every single time you've given your example of speaking normally, it's two different pronunciations. You're like, I don't know. I'm saying it the same way. I am saying it the same way. I think you guys are projecting, like, a lot of speech is actually your expectation of what you're going to hear. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, I There are disagree. fewer spaces between spoken words than within them. Babe, I gotta go with Tyler on this If you one. analyze the audio. Listen, I was a psych major, I know shit. <laughs> psych major doesn't have anything to do with being able to pick out how vowels sound. <laughs> yeah, that's linguistics, that's how the brain, that's cognitive, uh, cognitive well, psychology. Why don't we get a recording of you using a sentence with the two words? I wrote down my pen with my pen. Ooh. Pen? Pen. I wrote down my pen with my pen. You're saying the same word twice. No, and you didn't either. No, and everyone can hear it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Wrong. It is now recorded. 
in I, history. Even, even <laughs> the, the way that Matt said it was like purposely trying to obfuscate the, <laughs> the way that it sounds in the two different words. Should we just call up Noam Chomsky and just kind of settle this once and for all? Yeah, get him on the line. Yeah, get him on the phone. <laughs> I think he'd agree with me that everybody hears different things. Whatever, what does he know? <laughs> yeah, everybody does hear different things. Some people hear it correctly, some people <laughs> hear it incorrectly. Uh, your prescriptivist out- outlook is discriminatory. You're right. I am discrimin- discriminating you. <laughs> You're the odd man out of not being able to hear vowels correctly. <laughs> I still get the message. So at the end of the day, what does it really matter? Mm, do you though? Because well, I think this whole started with you mishearing one of us and not hearing what we're actually saying. That's if correct. you can't remember the exact circumstance, then it doesn't count. Well, we're talking about it still because of a oh, stealth. I d- <laughs> I do I do not recall that this all started with me mishearing one of you. Can you provide the exact details of that incident? Yeah, of course you revise history <laughs> for your benefit. Uh, he's a revisionist. He's a tweet deleter. He's a mispronouncer. Screenshot it or it didn't happen. <laughs> it's a fink and a phony. Timestamp <laughs> or nothing. Uh, that shot of Kane giving his political speech in front of his uh, that big like. Did you guys see the Nazi mustache? I did not see it until I was looking at Mm. an article on like, so he's giving this speech in front of the big picture of him Mm -hmm. and he's got on like a black shirt, like a suit. Mm -hmm. And he holds up his arm to like wave to the crowd. But if you freeze frame it, it's doing a perfect Hitler mustache over his own big picture. Whoa. I didn't notice it, but when you when you showed me the photo, yeah. I, I, t- I totally saw it. Yeah, it's crazy. Was it on purpose? I have to think it was. It was in an article about like the brilliant, so perfectly placed. Yeah, it had to have been. I mean, the imagery was I'd already kind of there before they went like overt oh with it. Yeah. yeah, if they did, you know, that's what it was. But it seems like it. Yeah, I didn't catch it though. That's that's. Yeah, weird. I didn't either. Then, I didn't either. And then. Yeah. And then I saw a screen grab of it, and I was like, holy crap, how did I miss that? I like that they used the most unflattering picture of him that they could. Yeah, he's got like a double chin and everything. <laughs> yeah, because he's a good-looking dude, and then they use this picture where he's like, <laughs> frumpy. Yeah, and it's not a profile, great. but it's not a three-quarter like, kind of <laughs> yeah, angle yeah, either. It's, it's a weird just photo. so bad, yeah. Did anyone love the, I mean, because when I go to theater or, or experience, uh, you know, visual medium, media in this way, I love when the scale is just enormous and the size of the of the hall where, that he was giving the speech in and mm. and the size of Xanadu and all of the shit uh, you know in his estate at the end I just was so satisfied as a viewer to see uh, just that amount of it, it, it must have been an insane amount of work and I just I really relished um, the the amount of like like how generous they were with space when they mm. were filming. I loved it. Well, some of that was painted, I think. Yeah. Oh, like really? Some of it was the audience, painting, yeah. yeah. They it was did beautiful. They did a lot of shots where they would combine live action and matte paintings yeah. uh, to, oh. you know, enhance the scene, which what? I thought worked really, really well. Yeah. I didn't know that until because I remember looking at that scene and being like, "Wow, that is a massive." That's absurd. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't know that they were using matte paintings for part of that until gorgeous. I looked it I up it afterwards. Was... Did anyone hear? You said until. <laughs> That's great. What? That's perfect. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Cut it. Loop it eight <laughs> times. <laughs> until. <laughs> until. 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 Uh, Damn. <laughs> I was, while, while I was watching this movie, I thought the same thing. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was noticing that, too. And I was thinking, like, man, 
if I were to make a movie today, I would make it with matte paintings, I think, just to like, mm. but in color and everything, but but still have a big matte painting with like live action. Like, I just would never use CG if I could. You you know? could I love ask, the look I'll of it. I'll give you a painting of me. <laughs> of just you? Of a matte painting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't acknowledge the joke. Do not reinforce this bad No, I needed them to spell it out for me because... <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little slow today. <laughs> but it was uh, also, it, it was this, uh, and at the end, in, in the credits, which were, I agree, Devin, so remarkably short, there was a, a composer and and conductor of the film score. I mean... Oh, really? Yeah, there was, yeah. And it's like, you just never see that anymore. And there's just a... And of course, films were that way. I mean, of course, I understand that. But to see that, to see the amount of handmade like craftsmanship yeah. and mastery of that that went into this film, I thought, and, and on such an enormous, not not bloated scale, but like almost to that point where like when you step back and think about somebody wrote this score, somebody performed this score in real time. And it wasn't like they could go back and just fix the recording. This is these are live takes. I yeah. mean and the person who composed it also conducted it. I mean it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so good. I mean it's just a small group of people like working on a project. I mean, I mean there was one it. person for costumes. One person. Yeah. Those short credits blow my mind. It was amazing. So I feel like we're kind of here. Uh Ratings? Want to give ratings? Ratings, yeah. Uh, Pick goes first, right? Is that what we decided? Oh, uh, did we? Uh, 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 nine. Okay. Thought it was excellent. Want to give myself room to grow. I will say, as much as I loved this movie... So you'll never give a ten? No, wait, you did once. No, I've never given No, I did. I know you I did. did. I did one. Yeah, it was Rushmore. Because it was written for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... Have not seen enough movies. I don't know that I would think this is the best movie ever made. I would agree with that, yeah. So I think it's a little overhyped, but not by much. I think I, it's really fucking good. I think it's overhyped only because it was like the first, you know, right. to do a whole litany of things. But that's the thing. Even like there's been numerous times where I remember we did uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead and we said, is it that the movie's bad or is it that so many people have ripped this off that it's not good to a modern audience? Right, oh. right. And this, even though it <laughs> pioneered so many things, still works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. that's huge. Even though it's been copied and parodied and all other sorts of shit, it still just works. And I think that's that's the biggest selling point for me. I would agree. Yeah, I, I, I also agree. I think we should save the guest for last. Whatever you like. Yeah. Yeah. Let's your, so you, you, can, you can put the bow on it, you know? Uh, that's a, that's a lot of pressure, sure. Tyler. I would, probably, I would probably give it a little bit higher than that. I'd probably give it like a 9.5. What is it with these decimals, dude? I listen every week. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, hold on. It's... Hold on. He gave it a 0.5. This is a that's, win. That's not bad. <laughs> that is a normal people score. Hey, yeah. de decimals out of 10 a are 9.3 repeating. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> he I'm, totally would I'm he would say that. it's only one third of the way to ten and that's really how I feel in my heart so three repeat I, I will I will actually use that at some point <laughs> in the future I'm calling it now <laughs> um, I, I love this movie um, I didn't feel overhyped for it because I, I knew it was on a lot of top lists as being one of the greatest movies ever made um, but I have been disappointed by a lot of films that were reportedly really good, um, either because of their age or they just didn't work for me as the particular audience. Or their outright racism. 
or yeah, that as well. Oh, <laughs> um, but uh, so I can't went into this with pretty low expectations, but I thought it was just a fantastic movie. The cinematography, the uh, a, a lot of <laughs> don't mind me. Uh, just the whole thing was just fantastic, right? And I was engaged. I, I really c- can't get over how effective the storytelling was and the format that they chose and doing the flashbacks and the narrative through Thompson. It was it was just all fantastic. And uh, yeah, I, I, love, I loved it. I would definitely, I want to watch it again, which is rare for a lot of the movies that we see, actually. I actively want to see it again because I feel like there was more stuff that I'll get out of it. I bet you'd get a lot on a rewatch. It felt like that kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many layers to it, right? It felt soup even though it was uh being told through all these different people, the whole thing felt super cohesive and like everything was uh pointing to uh, other parts of the story and other parts of the movie and, and yeah, no it was great. 9.5 from me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give it a uh, a, a, a cane out of a locker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I don't know what that means. They're two separate things. Two point five? <laughs> Isn't a locker just four canes? <laughs> yes, I'm, I don't. It, it was nonsensical. I really. I was like, Kane, hey. Citizen Kane, Walkers are kind of like. I don't, know, I don't know. Well done, Tyler. Thank you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Uh, I give it. I, I want to give it. Uh, I want to give it a nine. It's uh, like I had seen it before um, when I was, uh, you know, younger and dumber, and had less of an appreciation for film than I do now. Especially after doing the podcast for a while, um, I feel like I have even more now than when we started. Yeah, it it, it just it just holds up. Like it's better than I remember yeah. it. Uh, I feel like all the hype kind of like it, it's, it lives up to that. I love the history of it. Uh, I love all the actors. I really, I think Orson Welles is amazing. Uh, even though he became like a parody of himself later on, I kind of love that too. <laughs> yeah. Every, everything about it. Yeah. Uh, Jackie was saying like the, the production value alone mm-hmm. is worth watching. Even if the story was dumb, you know, and the acting was okay. Like the sets and the costumes oh. and the locales, like everything was just so breathtaking, you know? The lighting. Uh, the lighting, yeah. So many oh scenes. Uh, and I think, like, yeah, I think the old style, like, I'm a sucker for that. The old style matte paintings and, um, mm-hmm. and like, uh, uh, handcrafted special effects and stuff. Like, I, I really love that kind of stuff. So I think it really added to it. Um, yeah. Solid nine. So we never actually asked you, what did, what did you think of it when you saw it as a teenager? Oh, yeah. I remember enjoying it, but, like, you know, <laughs> I was not very uh cut it loop it oh oh, (laughs) i could do that Uh, (laughs) this is a callback to my little secret nugget at the end of the (laughs) episode i remember enjoying it uh but kind of just being like yeah it was a fun movie and not really fully Mm. appreciating engrossed in it yeah it was just like yeah it's real long black and white and there's no action and like where's all the cool stuff you know I did want to say that I think that seeing it at this time in my life is probably the best time I could have seen this movie. I think if I watched it as a teenager, I would not have appreciated it as yeah. much um, as I did this time around. Do you think that would change as you age? It may. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, my taste in movies has changed as I've gotten older. Mm. Um, but, you know, I don't know. We'd have to see. Maybe I'll rewatch in 10 years. See what I think. It's like yeah. the catcher of the rye of movies. Catcher in the rye. Oh, I was thinking it was a guy who catches rye bread. 
He is the catcher of the rye. Yeah. yeah, they like explain it at the end of the book, and you're like, well, you've just said the word goddamn about 167 times, so we're almost at the end here. Let's finish the book. This is a movie podcast. It's a mo- right, right, right. I think I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> That's the other show. It's down the hall. That's the yeah. other show down yeah, the yeah. hall. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, get out of here, egghead. <laughs> get out of here. Um, I would give the movie... I would give the movie an eight because, right, I found a lot of the scenes uh, very emotionally challenging to watch. Uh, The two that really stick out for me, um, the runner-up would be the um, uh, narrow montage that you mentioned of uh, Kane and his first wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the, the second one that I found challenging where I didn't know whether to laugh or whether to be profoundly sad was when he was... Uh, when Kane was rage quitting Susan's room mm-hmm. after she oh, had left, yeah. and then ending with that like <laughs> s- terrible shot of him just rooms down the hallway, you know, with the butler kind of in the foreground, um, I just found and those are just two examples that come immediately to mind. I just found the film so um, emotionally challenging that that I, I felt uncomfortable for a lot of the film, just sort of digesting these secondhand accounts from untrustworthy narrators about a really complicated guy. And, you know, what I had wished for in the movie was more information about his parents, because for me, the take home message was, um, and I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it was his, his lifelong search for security, for innocence, for what he had, but doesn't remember having. And he remembers what it feels like and tries to just, Uh, conjure that up in so many different ways in his life and just ham-fistedly fails over and over and over and it's for me it was just so it was so emotionally um dense that I I don't know I found it I found it so sad and then I didn't know whether to laugh at at certain points so that that for me which I think would go away with a rewatch Mm -hmm. but I, I did find it very very taxing and and as someone who uh, listens to a lot of music, this reminded me so much of an opera because the director shows you how to look at people and, and how to take in information. And for with music, the music can inform how you view a character and how you interpret what they're doing and what, what, what's going on in the plot. And, and for me, that sort of laser focus on this is how I want you to see this person. This is how this person existed to me. And this is going to make up your idea of him. I found it so difficult. I found it really difficult. So, but you know, all that said, it's so well made, and and I thought a lot of the acting was really touching and, and affecting for mm. me. So I would give it a high score, even though I don't know what any of the cinematography is. Probably why I found it so challenging was because all of these different things were happening that were effective storytelling. But I just, it, it was just so effective that I was yeah. tired at the end of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would give it an eight. I love. Uh, when characters are ambiguous as far as whether or not they're supposed to be you love it you hate it though you know i just love it you just love it (laughs) yeah i think it's i think it's way more interesting and way more challenging but in a good way to Mm. watch as opposed to just like here's the hero here's the villain yeah um and i really appreciated that and that's I, I liked it more throughout the film as as i watch it when it becomes more ambiguous as to what you're supposed to feel i mean they open the film with that scene right when he takes over the newspaper and he's talking to Thatcher and he says, but you see there's two canes, yeah. right? Like mm. they, they give you that early on and say like, you're not going to understand. It's not like one 
clean image. It's, right. And then there's that great shot at the end of him reflected between new, two mirrors. He's like this fractured, scattered. Oh, mm-hmm. walking through. Yeah, there's the hundreds yeah, yeah, of yeah. canes stretching out into infinity. I love the globe. It was so beautiful. Yeah. I just I, I found it so challenging to watch at certain points and and the score. In fact, so the Susan's debut was an opera that the composer just like wrote for this particular movie and oh. you can hear the words and so the words in her aria she's you know imploring a god to put her out of her misery so she's like you know obviously not very happy during the aria that she's singing and this movie was so popular that famous opera singers actually got the score of that aria and would perform it at their recitals Hmm. Um, so there was like a little bit of like a, a pop craze to this to this thing, and yeah, I, didn't know I don't. I, I I find that so interesting that someone basically wrote an opera for use in this film. Like another example of this yeah. amazing craftsmanship. My amazing. my dumb brain uh, <laughs> at the the end of the movie where Kane's like walking out and he's all solemn. It's like I love the way you put it. You rage quitted his. Relationship. <laughs> he did. He did. It's, it's like so he perfect. lost the video yeah. game. He's like fuck this shit this is fucking and then it went on for like 45 seconds and you're like he's done nope he's gonna do that now and he's doing that like old man kind of stilted walk he couldn't even walk it was so great also like how creepy was that room they did like I know that that's just environmental storytelling but what a great job they did of showing how he like infantilized her there were like dolls and animals on the rack statues that was like her own room right like like she was a pet being kept in the house or something yeah Mm -hmm. creepy it was creepy yeah yeah, but then I, do you find at the end, one thing that I, I'm so interested in the character of Susan Alexander, and I wish I could remember that actress's name because she was lovely, but so she's this do, doing jigsaw puzzles by the absurdly large fireplace for most of their relationship and being forced in this opera premiere. She tries to commit suicide. Yeah, and then at the end, crazy. she just gets up and leaves. Like that's an untrustworthy narrator. You don't just get up one day and decide I'm leaving my husband today after years of this bullshit. Yeah. Well, I don't, he hit her. He hit her, but there was other scenes in between that. Yeah. There was, there was passage of time between there was passage of time. I yeah. She was doing some more other. fucking puzzles. Yeah. But she was, something there, there was some progression of her, you know, yeah. Leading up to that. Uh, also, um, she, he said when they first met, I remember he mentioned when he, he said he was going to, look for his mother's possessions, right? He was going to go mm-hmm. look through them because he was looking for his youth, I think is how he phrased it, mm-hmm. which is also just ties into the rest of kind of the message of the movie as far as, you know, with Rosebud and trying to find that innocence and that feeling of, of youth and being a child that he feels like he lost. Um, just thought that was interesting. Hmm. What were you going to say? Oh, just that the that little mini, like, uh, narratage of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of um of Susan doing the puzzles, I think was the saddest part for me. Oh my god! Yeah, that was rough. Like where he's like, "Yeah, you're obsessed with those things." She's like, "No, it's not an obsession. I'm not like a collector. This is just something fun for me because what the fuck else am I supposed to be doing in because here? Because I hate you so much. And your and your huge empty mausoleum, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. that's a great word for it. Yeah, which they really showed because they're like in the same room and like oh yelling to talk to each other because they're so far away, and he's just like sitting in a chair. And she's just or standing all the way inside of a gigantic fireplace. <laughs> that fireplace was huge. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. <laughs> there is also an intimacy where you live in the same space with someone, and one person will be in the kitchen, the other person will be in the bedroom, and they'll say, "Hey, babe, can you grab that thing?" And you're having a conversation by yelling from different rooms. But that it could have been that that intimacy 
of space and relationship, but it just, you're right. It was completely divorced yeah. from any, and there was also that moment where, I don't know if you guys remember where the, 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 the charming uh, meet cute at the beginning for mm. Susan with the toothache. And I was just thinking to myself, what the fuck is she saying? I can't even understand what she's saying. Oh uh, yeah. And they go up to her room and then he shuts the door and then it opens. And like that awkward Ooh. scene. And I didn't know what to do with it it was so bizarre. that made me uncomfortable for a second i was what like wait what make of it what is happening what's yeah <laughs> when he shut the door yeah. and it became clear that that was a bad thing yeah right? and i was like um hey but at least the movie pointed out like yeah that's not and then they kind of cool just moved move. on from it it was really strange it was so weird yeah what did you make of it hon you didn't make anything out of it i just thought i thought that was a bizarre moment where i i thought i was getting a sense was that that was when susan was telling her story right or was that from a different source that, I don't remember. That was, that was from Leland, I think. Yeah, because he was telling all she had was a toothache that night. Yeah. Right. So oh. he was telling the story as it was told by Kane to him. I right. see. So That's, probably seemed happier than it really happened in actuality. You know? Absolutely. And then, you know, you remember things and, and probably she said, what are you doing? I have to keep the door open. And he conveniently left that out. And so then the door was open and it was fine and she was adorable. Oh, uh, I wonder if after the door closing was manufactured. I wonder if that's a story that either Kane told Leland it's gotta to be. make him seem better or if that's a story that Leland told Thompson to make his friends seem better. Mm. But I don't think Leland at that point was doing... No, he was super resentful Kane at that point. any favors. Yeah. I also find that's it, an interesting idea. I also find it strange that during their first meeting, she's singing opera to him to soothe him. I don't find opera soothing. It is loud. It is intensely emotional. It's it's melodramatic, and she's just playing. And he's sitting there in the armchair, and it, it was of course his impression of the situation, which he told to Leland, who was then telling the audience kind of what it was. And and you know the fact that opera is this you know basically prop in the opera to sort of, I don't know, it was it was him basically saying, I felt comfortable for the first time in a long time. I felt secure. And this opera was there. And, and so, yeah, she's an opera star. And I'm going to, yeah, that's how I make it all happen. This is how I get this to work. I, I also, I'll make bizarre. her dreams come true and she'll love me. Yeah. yeah, and then she'll love me and then I'll feel safe like I did that night in the armchair when she sang that song to me. Yeah. I don't know. There's something in there. I don't know. I also love when Kane was being asked, uh, like, if she can't sing at that other opera house, are you going to just build one? And he's like, that won't be necessary. And then it just cuts to the newspaper. Smash Kane builds Well, he also oh, said, yeah. will she sing at the Metropolitan? He said, yes, we will. And I was like, we? <laughs> we? Yeah. It was so weird. I found that that part of the, I loved his first wife. I thought she was just, you know, a fierce ass lady who just kind of grew into herself. And she really matured She didn't mince me. words. She yeah, did it, and I really, that scene where they confronted with uh, Gettys, with Gettys mm. and Susan and uh, his first wife and <laughs> Kane was, I didn't know what was, there was so much posturing, and of course it was a story, was it was that the Leland section as well? That I may have been really. Susan. Was that Susan? I think so. Hmm. But I do love that moment where she's like, yeah, so I'm going to this specific address. Oh. And then he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just, I'll go with you. <laughs> his eyes get a little bit wider. A little bit like that micro. Yeah. It was so effective. I uh, really. Oh, by the way, uh, Susan Alexander Kane was played by Dorothy Commongore. She was lovely. Yeah. I really. really and then just her face and the tears and the age. That's so good. What a good movie. I feel like we could uh, talk about this one for a long we could, time. We, we could, could, but we shouldn't because we, we have another movie to do at some point, which oh, Devin yeah. is going to let us know what it is. Oh, yes. 
Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Weren't we just talking about this? Yeah, we've <laughs> talked about it a bunch of times. So there's a movie, movie that I do want to see that I haven't seen. Great. Um, it's it's kind of a, a newer film. Uh, not It's not as old as this one, I guess. Do you consider it seminal? Um, I've heard a lot about it. And Did you just pull this out of your ass? No, it's actually something that I've wanted to see for a long He's time. He's had it in his it, ass for a really it's, long time. It's a horror film. I think you both have probably seen it. Uh, have Have you guys seen The Thing? I have. Yes. I have you love seen The it? Thing. Yeah. I have never seen it, and I've seen it referenced a lot as far as horror movies go. It's okay. an amazing horror movie, Is and it? I'm now excited to watch it again. Okay, because yeah. I, I, I really want to see it. Have you seen it, Jackie? I have not. Oh, I'm so very a, easily startled, so I don't really enjoy watching. Oh, it's startling. <laughs> it's a fucked up movie, and I love it. That's yeah. the thing about it. Uh, babe. Oh. <laughs> babe. I want to say it was early 80s that came out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh, and then there was that like kind of soft reboot sequel kind of movie that came out not that long ago. I wouldn't know. Uh, it's not bad, but it's kind of The other more thing? Yeah, <laughs> there's the thing yeah, and the other thing. <laughs> Wait, so if it's a if it's a soft reboot sequel, is it a seboot cool? Uh, seboot cool. Yeah, seboot cool. Fuck <laughs> you! It's January. <laughs> it's forever. Yeah. So the thing next week. Yeah, I guess it. so. I, I, I want to see it. Xanadu is a place in Florida. Why it is. not? It's a, <laughs> a castle with high. lots of go birds. High. You said don't go high. Are you, but I, you have to do so it. Xanadu <laughs> is a place in Florida <laughs> next to the Everglades. Everglades, don't hit your wife there, she'll leave you. <laughs> we'll have a party in the swamp. The swamp. Rock solid, guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. He taught me everything I know. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Okay, Gettys. Gettys. How about is. your rosebud and your Xanadu rosebud? Oh. I'm getting... Xanadu hyphen rosebud. Are, we, oh, we're Are going... you Gettys? You're Gettys. Oh, we've been live. Are you Gettys? <laughs> Three, two, one. Pizza. Pizza. What's <laughs> mm. yours? Not very uh